Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. So we turn tonight to begin with to Matthew chapter 12, although it may also be good to have, uh, again, a finger or a marker on Jonah chapter 2. Uh, we'll turn back there. But tonight we want to begin by reading Matthew chapter 12, uh, reading together from the verse number 38. And then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered and saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Amen. May God bless our hearts in his word again this evening. In the context here of Matthew chapter 12, the Lord is dealing with those who refuse to believe in his identity. He's performed many miracles. There are those who are saying in verse number 23, Is not this the son of David? They are seeing in the person of Jesus one who has done so many wonderful miracles, wonderful teachings, that they're suggesting for a second, perhaps this is the Messiah. And yet the leaders refuse to believe that. And the Pharisees, verse number 24, hear this, and they say, This fellow doth not cast out devils but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And they suggest that the Lord's authority over the demons is because he is in cahoots with the prince of darkness, Beelzebub himself. And of course, the Lord gives very clear answers to that. That again, that is to suggest that the house is divided against itself. And in fact, he's on to warn them about the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. For the Lord's miracles are being performed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, to suggest that they're being performed in the power of the devil is to be guilty of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. But as that conversation continues, and there is concern regarding the Lord's identity, we have again this other group, verse number 38, asking the Lord for an additional sign. And that's the idea here. Master, we would see a sign from the, we want something else to prove that you are who you say you are. And that's this idea of a sign. It is a desire for something to confirm the Lord's sayings. In simple terms, they want proof. You say you are this. You say you're the Son of God. You say you're the Christ. Prove it. Now, the Lord, of course, as is the case of the parables, also says that they will not be given a sign, save the sign of the prophet Jonas. This sign... Three days and three nights in the wheel's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of the prophet Jonas. 
over in Luke chapter 11, the Lord himself, Jesus himself, or sorry, Jonas is himself referred to as the sign. Luke 11, verse number 30, it says, Therefore Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites. And therefore you ask the question, well, in what sense is Jonas a sign confirming Jesus' identity? That's what it's all about. Are you the Christ? Well, in what sense does Jonas' experience in the fish's belly prove that? Well, of course, it is only a sign in the light of Jonah chapter 2, verse number 10, where it says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. The sign is in the coming of Jonas out of the fish. Being in the fish is a sign because he came out. And the point of the sign of Jonas in Matthew and in Luke is, of course, pointing to the Lord's resurrection. It is not that he's in the grave for three days and three nights. It is in the fact that he's only in the grave for three days and three nights. It's not that Jonah is swallowed by a fish. Now, it is remarkable, but it's even more remarkable that he comes out of that fish. And that's the evidence, that's the sign of Jonas. And the same is true for Jesus. It's not that he goes to the grave when he dies. It is that the grave does not hold him. And so what is the purpose in Jonah coming out of the fish? What is the purpose of the Lord rising again from the grave? Well, Jonah coming out of the fish is, as Luke tells, is a sign to the Ninevites it's also a sign to the Jews of Jesus' day, and indeed it is a sign to us. Jonas, Jonah coming out of the fish is a sign to us regarding the work of God, his ways and his will in our redemption. And so tonight I want to go back to Jonah chapter 2, and I want to look at this issue of the sign of Jonah. In what sense is Jonah a sign of Christ's resurrection and a sign and a proof of Christ's identity. And there are five things I want to consider with you uh, somewhat briefly uh, tonight. First of all, we should see that the resurrection of Jesus is out of the grave. And in that sense, Jonah points forward to the Lord's death and then subsequent resurrection. And it also, in the language that's used in this particular section, in Jonah chapter 2, verse number 2, Jonah says that the Lord hears him out of the belly of hell. It is the Hebrew word sheol. It's used for the grave, the place of the dead. Now, sometimes it's used of that place of eternal punishment. But other times, often in Hebrew literature, it refers to the grave, the place of the dead. Jonah also says in verse number 6, that the Lord has brought up his life from corruption. And these two concepts coming together in Jonah's prayer. He's praying, delivered from hell and delivered from corruption. Now those two words are brought together also in the Psalm 16. And remember we said that Jonah chapter 2 reverberates with the language of the Psalter. Well, you go back to Psalm 16, and you'll see these two words coming together, Sheol and corruption. 
And in Psalm 16, verse number 10, it says there, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, or in Sheol, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You see, these two things come together. So Jonah is praying from the fish's belly, and he's saying, it is as if I'm in Sheol, and I'm going to be corrupted in the fish's belly. But the Lord heard my prayers and delivered me from Sheol and from the depth of corruption. Now, those of you who are familiar with your Bibles will also know that Psalm 16, verse 10 is taken by Peter in Acts chapter 2. Turn across there. Acts chapter 2. And the verse number 31, again referring to David's prophecy, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up. This Jesus hath God raised up. In other words, Peter is telling us that the one who fulfills Psalm 16 in its fullest sense is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one who's delivered from Sheol, whose flesh does not see corruption. But Jonah's saying he also in part fulfills Psalm 16. So Psalm 16 is a promise of the Messiah, but Jonah is saying in his prayer, look what you've done for me. You've delivered me, you've heard me in Sheol, and you've rescued my life from corruption. And so we're seeing here immediately that Jonah is a type of Christ in that his deliverance from the fish's belly is akin to Jesus rising up from the grave, from Sheol and from corruption. And of course, the question then comes, why is the Lord in the grave? And the question, to the, the answer to that question also comes in part when you ask the question, why is Jonah in the fish's belly? Well, we could say from chapter 1 that Jonah is cast out of the ship so that others may live. He's cast into the storm of the sea so that the mariners could be rescued. And so what you see in Jonah chapter 1 is a, is a wonderful picture of redemption. He's cast out and the storm is stilled. He enters the stormy sea that the stormy sea would be stilled. In the same fashion, of course, Christ enters into the fire of God's wrath that he would secure peace from the wrath of God. It's a type. You could ask the question, what, what are these types for? Well, I'll give you an idea later on as to one of the key reasons for the types, but one of the things is that they give a very simple picture. We deserve to be cast into the sea of God's wrath, but Christ entered that sea on our behalf that we may never have to face the stormy seas of God's wrath. And so in this sense, well, why is Jonah in the fish's belly? Because he himself sinned against God. He was guilty before God and deserved to enter the fires of God's wrath. Christ, of course, had no sin of his own, but yet still deserved to face the wrath of God. He's guilty not of his own sins, but he's guilty by imputation. He's guilty of sin, and he enters into the fire of God's wrath, guilty of that sin, but he bears the burden of God's wrath so that those for whom he dies will indeed know deliverance. These are gospel themes that you know very, very well. 
And so you see here that in the, type, the typical sense here, Jonah enters the sea as a guilty sinner. Christ enters the grave, in a sense, as a guilty sinner. But they are delivered, vindicated by God, and brought to resurrection and to glory. In other words, as Christ dies that we might live, so Jonah dies in a sense that these mourners might live, and both Jonah and Jesus, their acts are vindicated by the Lord as the Lord delivers them from the grave. So fundamentally, that's what you see. The typical sense here is that resurrection is out of the grave. But secondly, we also should note that resurrection is after three days and three nights. That's explicitly mentioned in Matthew chapter 12. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This reference of three days and three nights has definitely caused some perplexity amongst the various Bible authorities. Some will say three days refers to three times 12-hour days in the Jewish thought, and then three nights refers to three times 12-hour nights total of 72 hours. Thereby, they would take the death of Jesus going back into the middle of the week. Others, and I think this is the right view, they will say that three days and three nights was a Jewish idiom for any part of three consecutive periods of time. And so what you're seeing here is not a questioning of the Lord's, uh, under, sorry, the understanding of the Lord dying on a Friday, uh, buried again Friday night in the grave Saturday, and rising again on Sunday, three consecutive days, three days and three nights in Jewish idiom. Whatever the case may be, Jonah's time in the fish was governed by God's plan for Jesus. You've got to consider that. The length of time that Jonah spends in the fish is governed by God's plan for his son to spend in the grave. Not the other way around. The order here is important. Jesus, dying the day before the Sabbath, was removed from the cross and buried, then arose again the first day of the week, signifying a new Sabbath, a day of new creation. And all this was in the plan and purpose of God. The timing was all part of God's eternal purpose. But part of the function of types is to show us that God's plan predates the gospel record. The plan for Christ must be prior to those things that typify Christ. You see, for Jonah to be a type of Christ indicates that God must have planned the time of Christ's burial prior to Jonah's existence. And so the fulfillment governs the details of the type. So the plan for fulfillment must predate the type. I hope you follow logic there. And therefore, when you consider that, these signs and these types are powerful signs to the wisdom of God and the faithfulness of God. That if God has determined before time itself for the Son to die and be buried and rise again, that predates Jonah, but Jonah is being used by God to then be assigned to the first century Jews 
God has said Messiah will die, be buried and rise again as Jonah is in the sea, is captured by the fish and is then spewed out again upon the dry land. Three days and three nights. And the sign should have been enough for the first century hearers to believe. They should have expected the Lord Jesus to be buried three days and three nights and rise again as he had predicted. But such is the hardness of their hearts, they refuse to believe the sign that God has given to them. So the resurrection is from the grave. It is after three days and three nights. It is also thirdly by the power of God. Again, this is a sign. The language of sign here is language of miracle. Jonah's experience here, Jonah chapter 2, verse number 10, is a miracle. And we know that because of the language used here. It is not the case that the fish got some sort of indigestion and then vomited out the prophet from an indigestive situation. Rather, it says, the Lord spake unto the fish. <laughs> wow! That's what the Bible says. The fish acted in obedience to the command of God. God said, you've had him long enough. Now's the time to spew Jonah out of your belly. And so it is a display of the miraculous, the power of God. And of course, we know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also by the power of God. Acts 2 again, Peter says that God raised Jesus from the dead. And when you consider, the, again, the biblical testimony, we know that Jesus, if you like, raised himself. He could take his own life. The Spirit of God raises Jesus from the dead. The Father, all three persons of the Trinity, are, are, are working in the marvel of the Lord's resurrection. But it's the power of God. And so as Jonah is released from the fish by the power of God, so Christ's resurrection is by the power of God. But fourthly, resurrection, again, should be seen here as a proof of God's appointment. This is where the Luke chapter 11 reference is intriguing. For it says in Luke 11, in the verse number 30 again, For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites. So here, the sign is not given in terms of the three days and the three nights. But Jonas himself as a sign. And there are those, and I, I, I take this view, there are those who believe that as Jonah would go to Nineveh, he would recount what happened to him on the sea and in the fish. And then that itself would be a sign that he was one appointed of God. His death, burial, and resurrection was used by the prophet as a confirmation that he was a messenger from God. Now again, there are some who speculate that Jonah's time in the fish would leave external signs upon his very visage, and you could see one who was in the fish's belly. Whether that's the case or not, I don't know. But again, Luke 11 does clearly say that Jonah himself was a sign to the Ninevites. And again, when you compare that with Matthew chapter 12, Three days, three nights, Jonah, uh, Luke chapter 11. I think it is very, very likely that Jonah's experience was itself a sign of his divine appointment. And there were certainly many first century Jews who believed the Ninevites repented when Jonah preached because they knew that God spoke through him. 
And they knew this because they knew that God saved them from drowning. And there are some who believe that, that narrative, and I think it's very, very likely. Similarly, the resurrection of our Lord is the vindication by his Father of his divine appointment. And his resurrection shows God vindicates him and affirms the truth of all of his words. Turn, please, to Acts chapter 17. And so as Jonas being delivered from the fish's belly was a sign to the Ninevites, so the Lord's resurrection is a sign of his appointment. We know from Acts 17 that Paul is preaching here in Mars Hill. He's preaching to the Areopagus. He's confirming to their ignorance the nature of the true God. And he says, God commandeth, verse 30, all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. So the resurrection of Christ is the confirmation of his identity. Hence, it's a sign. You want a sign? Well, the sign of Jonah will be given to you. The sign of Jesus coming from the grave in the sovereign appointment of God's. And when you read the gospel records and you read Jesus saying, the sign of Jonas will be given, and you read of his death, burial, and resurrection, and you read the timing of all of this, you realize that the resurrection confirms that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the promised Redeemer and the Savior of sinners. If you think of this in Romans chapter 1, again, Paul makes it clear in these words, Romans 1 verse 4, that Jesus is declared to be the Son of God of power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That does not mean he becomes the son in the resurrection, but rather he is declared publicly to be the son with glorified power in his resurrection. And so there is no excuse for unbelief. Nineveh condemns the unbelieving Jews and condemns us. They repented at the sign of Jonah. We have a greater sign than Jonah. For a greater than Jonah came in the gospel record. We have that record. And yet, tragically, many hear the news of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, and they will not believe. It is a sign greater than that of Jonah. Fairburn says this, There were so many distinctive marks in the outward shell of the transaction to enable the contemporaries of Jesus the more easily to read its hidden import and describe the more essential lines of resemblance between his case and that of the prophet of Gath Hefer. In other words, the similarities between Jonah and Jesus are so apparent that there was no excuse for unbelief. And there's no excuse for you not believing the gospel today. The evidence is clear and plain. Jesus Christ died and rose again from the grave. But fifthly and finally, as we explore the various ways in which Jonah is a type of Christ, we've seen already the resurrection is from the grave. We've seen the resurrection after three days and three nights. We've seen the resurrection by the power of God as a proof of God's appointment. Fourthly, and now fifthly, the resurrection leads to salvation. Jonah is brought from the fish to be the messenger of deliverance. 
Christ also is resurrected as a prophet of good news, the prophet of gospel truth. Personally, yes, for a time to the disciples, but especially by his spirit in the apostles. He rises from the grave, and in virtue of that resurrected power, multitudes which no man can number come to faith and repentance. Christ's resurrection is infinitely greater than Jonah's. He actually dies. Jonah only dies in type. He actually rises again. Jonah only rises in type. Jonah rises from the sea to speak. Christ rose from the tomb to triumph. Again, one man, Jones, says this, far more glorious still the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He died for the world. He rose again to be the Savior of it. In dying, he destroyed death. In rising from the dead, the whole church rose in him. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. When death, hell, and the grave are conquered, he bringeth life and immortality light. No other conqueror could ever speak in this triumphant strain. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Christ is far greater than Jonah. His resurrection secures our redemption. Jonah could bring a message. Repent of your sins. He was to come and cry against it. And the Ninevites, they call upon God for mercy. But Jonah could not secure that mercy from God. But Jesus Christ secures mercy. He is the one who with five bleeding wounds pleads on our behalf and in his resurrected condition goes to the right hand of God, securing our redemption, securing our deliverance and our forgiveness. He is so much greater than Jonah. Jonah is a wonderful type, a type ordained of God to convince people regarding the identity of Jesus. But we look back on the type, but our eyes go from the type quickly to the anti-type, and we see our Savior, and we realize one has broken death bonds, risen triumphant from the grave, whereby we have the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. Praise God, he is our Redeemer. He is our triumphant Lord and God. And we have the joy of putting our faith in him. Do not be as the foolish Jews. Show me more. Give me more proof. You have plenty of proof already. Trust in Christ. Turn from your sin and know peace with God. May the Lord bless us in his word again tonight for Christ's sake. May we know the Lord's blessing to rest and abide upon us. Amen and amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. 
We preach Christ crucified.